going to begin by reading this passage from 1 John chapter 3. This is verses 18 through 20. We've been doing this sermon series on forgiveness, and I want you to hear here, we'll be talking about this as I get going here in the message, about what he has to say about how we are to behave or how we're supposed to find peace when our own hearts condemn us. So here are these words from the Apostle John. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as I mentioned this morning, we're continuing this sermon series on forgiveness. And what I want to do is I want to talk about what I think might be one of the hardest things of all to do in this subject of forgiveness, and that's really forgiving ourselves, forgiving ourselves. As I've had discussions with people, I've I've taught Bible studies, I've had classes this week, as we've been talking about the sermons for the past few weeks, and the question that keeps coming up from people is this subject of, I know God has forgiven me, I get that, I even, you know, I've, I've hurt someone else, they've told me, they forgive me, but I just can't seem to forgive myself. And this has come up again and again. I think for many of us, forgiving ourselves is the hardest thing to do of all. When we know, we know that we're the ones who are responsible for a broken relationship. We know that we've hurt someone very badly. We know that. And we see every time we're with them the effects of our behavior, of our actions. It's devastating to us to live with, and it can be very difficult to watch another person live with the effects of our own actions. So for the past two weeks, we've been talking about this, how how failing to forgive others, right? When others have hurt us, how failing to forgive them can be like, you know, it's, it's carrying around this burden full of rocks, right? And we've been talking about that for several weeks now. But what about the times when we're the ones who are in the wrong? What about the times when it's us who have hurt others? Maybe, you know, maybe we seek God's forgiveness and and that's like part of the rocks are gone. We feel better. The other person tells us we're forgiven and, and part of the load is gone. But still, we find ourselves carrying around this package, this burden of failure to forgive ourselves. It just weighs us down. We can't seem to let go of it. Well, you know what? If you're one of those people, you're not alone. Like I said, I've been hearing this all week from many different people. So preparing for this sermon, I did what we do today. I went out and I Googled forgiving yourself just to see what it would turn up. And it got so many hits on the internet, it was unbelievable. I got hits from respected places. I mean, things like Psychology Today, from WebMD, from Prevention Magazine, they all have web pages devoted to forgiving yourself. Of course, there's even a page about forgiving yourself on Oprah's website. And I even found a site I'd never heard of before called happify.com. I guess that's all dedicated to how to make ourselves happy. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of the advice you can find on those sites is good advice. I don't doubt that. I looked through some of it. I'm sure some of it's very good advice. But this morning, 
what I want us to do is think about this issue from just a purely Christian perspective and see what it is the Bible might have to say about this topic, about these times we just can't look, let go of the fact that it really is our fault. And, and one of the places I really want to begin, one of the most helpful places I think there is, is to look at the story of the apostle Peter. Most of us know a little bit about that story. One of the disciples, all four gospels tell us the story of how Simon Peter was one of the very first ones to make an intentional decision to follow Jesus. The way the Gospel of Mark puts it is this. Mark writes, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And as the story goes on, as we read the Gospels, we learn and we see that Simon Peter, his name had been Simon, it was changed to Peter, he became one of Jesus' closest confidants, part of this inner circle of close friends with Jesus along with the disciples James and John. He followed Jesus for three years, he witnessed Jesus' miracles, he watched him proclaiming the kingdom of God to people, and Peter was the very first one to declare, you, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one that we've been expected. And yet, and yet, after Jesus was arrested, after Jesus was carried away by the authorities, Peter followed and in a courtyard outside where Jesus was being questioned, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. Three times Jesus, Peter was asked, you're with him, you're one of them, you know him, and three times Peter said, I don't know that man. And when we read the Gospel of John, it seems very clear to me that, that in the aftermath of this, in the aftermath of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, after the denial, even after Peter had witnessed the resurrected Jesus at least two times, this denial was still just tearing Peter apart. He couldn't forgive himself for what he had done. And this story comes at the very end of John's Gospel in chapter 21, and it begins like this. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night, they caught nothing. Now, we have to remember, right? Peter had not been a fisherman for over three years, right? We just read from the Gospel of Mark, he left his nets behind him to follow Jesus. For three years, he'd been Jesus' right-hand man, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming Jesus' message. For three years, all he had done was go about with Jesus proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. But now, in the aftermath of his denial, in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion, what's Peter done? He's retreated into the past. He's retreated into the past. Even though Peter had been there for two resurrection appearances, he's essentially just reverted back to who he was before he met Jesus. And I think you can almost feel this aching. You can almost feel this aching in Peter's heart, right? So we imagine him just saying to these friends of his, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do now. 
This is all I've done for three years. I thought Jesus was going to lead us into this kingdom of God. I thought everything was going to be different now. But now he's gone. The last thing he ever heard from me was denying I even knew him. I guess I'm just going to go fish again. And I think this is just such a, a raw moment of humanity that we see in Peter. Because for all of us, in the depth of pain and self-loathing, when we have those moments, all any of us wants to do is something that doesn't take any thought whatsoever, something we can just do by second nature. We want to go back to a place before the pain. For Peter, that meant fishing. And you get the feeling his friends maybe don't want him to be alone. Or maybe they're dealing with their own despair. So they jump up and say, hold on, hold on. We'll go with you. We'll come along. But imagine, right? Imagine how this despair, the heaviness of what they had done, just sank in even deeper that night. When they go out to do what they've always done, and they don't even catch a single fish. Not one. I mean, imagine, like, I can't even fish anymore. Everything in that moment seemed hopeless. But see, but the story doesn't end there. Okay, the story doesn't end there. Because Jesus appears again. He shows them where to throw their nets. And this time they bring in a haul huge mass of fish and Jesus the resurrected Jesus shares a meal with them and in this amazing display of compassion Jesus helps Peter to overcome this self-condemnation that Peter's living with over this damage that, that Peter knows he's done or feels he's done to his relationship with Jesus and Jesus helps Peter to move beyond the sin of that denial Three times, he gently asks Peter, simple question, do you love me? So in other words, I think what I read here is Jesus just says, do you love me? But he's saying, you know, I know, Peter, I know you're focusing on what you did to me. I know you're focusing on how you hurt me. But do you love me? And three times, Peter insists he does. I do. But what's really interesting is that each time that Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. Jesus then responds with some variety of the words, feed my sheep. So in these simple words, I think, feed my sheep, Jesus teaches Peter that, that part of the way to move past his sin is to focus on the future rather than the past. He encourages Peter to prove his love for him by taking a leadership role among all the disciples, among all Jesus' followers, to care for them, feed my sheep through these acts of mutual love and support. Your denial of me is in the past, Jesus says. Stop living there. I know what you did then, but if you love me today, feed my lambs. If you love me today, take care of my sheep. If you love me today, feed my sheep. 
Now, it's no wonder Peter, in his own letter, many years later, wrote this. He wrote, cast all your anxiety on him, Jesus, because he cares for you. Peter had lived that. It's interesting, too, that although John, the Apostle John, focuses in this story on Jesus' forgiveness of Peter and how that affects Peter, it's true that all the disciples, including John himself, all the disciples had hearts that condemned them for their behavior with Jesus because although Peter is the one who had denied Jesus in the courtyard, he was also the only disciple who had enough courage to at least follow Jesus at a distance to the courtyard. The rest of the disciples had all fled. They had just taken off, dispersed, and scattered. All of them had consciences that continually reminded them that they had abandoned Jesus in the moment of Jesus' greatest need. And all of them struggled with forgiving themselves for that behavior. So I think it's interesting and helpful to us to look at what John writes, and that's the passage I began with today, about finding peace. We'll read it again, what the Apostle John writes in 1 John. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. I want you to think about it. Look at how similar that is to what Peter actually said to Jesus when Jesus asked him for the third time if he loved him. John writes that Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So I think what Peter and John are both getting at is this reality that God knows everything, everything. Okay, God knows your sin. God knows if it is your fault. God knows whether you're truly sorry for your sin. God knows if you're finding yourself unable to forgive yourself for your sin. God knows if you love him, and God knows if in spite of all that you are earnestly trying to follow him. God knows everything. Throughout this letter of 1 John, John writes with one purpose in mind. Go back and read this entire letter if you can at some time. The purpose of John's letter is to heighten his readers' awareness, heighten their consciousness of everything that is really involved in this big subject of salvation. Everything that can be accomplished when we embrace the reality of this salvation that God, the God who knows everything about us, has given us. What all is included in this salvation? John writes to inspire us with the confidence in Christ's victory over the destructive powers of evil in the world. He writes, we know we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. 
He is the true God and eternal life. See, what John wants us to see is that this confidence, this assurance that we're accepted by God, assurance that we are accepted by God, that we've been forgiven by God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, this assurance that the Holy Spirit has come and given to us, this is an absolutely critical component of the ability to forgive ourselves. Okay? If we're truly going to reach the point of being able to forgive ourselves, we first have to gain this absolute confidence, absolute confidence in God's forgiveness of us. Because what John says is that whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever our hearts condemn us, our hearts can be reassured, our hearts can truly be put at ease because God is greater than our hearts. And God knows everything. Whenever our hearts, our hearts condemn us, our guilty consciences, whenever they seek to condemn us to say, you can't forgive yourself, you can't forgive yourself, the same God who has already forgiven us won't stop there. Won't stop with forgiving us. This same God will work in our hearts, on our hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit to reassure us, to quiet our hearts, to seek out and destroy the evil that seeks to destroy your life by making you feel like you can't forgive yourself. Okay, but this reassurance can only come about through our acceptance of the fact that we truly are accepted by God. That this victory over the destructive powers of evil in this world has already been accomplished by Jesus. Because, folks, here's the thing. If you believe, I mean, if you really believe that you are forgiven by God, forgiven by God, but there's something still there inside you condemning you that convinces you you can't forgive yourself, I'm telling you that is coming from a place of evil in your life. Because it's only evil that seeks to destroy life in that way. The experience of full salvation in Jesus Christ means accepting that you are accepted. Accepting that you are accepted. And finding this release of knowing God is greater than your heart. God knows everything about you and yet has forgiven you. This self-condemnation that you're living with, this self-condemnation you're still carrying around with you, cannot stand against this all-powerful love of God. It can't. I want you to hear that again. If your heart is condemning you, believe, trust that God is greater than your heart and that your heart, your heart that's telling you what a terrible person you are, how it's all your fault, your heart doesn't stand a chance against the all-consuming, all-powerful love of God. God is greater than our hearts. Now, it's interesting. The Bible actually, if you look for it in the Bible, it doesn't actually say a whole lot about forgiving ourselves. This passage that I started with from 1 John is about as close as it gets. And the reason for that is because the Bible 
actually kind of assumes a posture throughout it that believes it shouldn't even be a question once you've received the forgiveness of God. So the Bible emphasizes seeking God's forgiveness, the forgiveness of this omnipotent God, because God's greater than our hearts. How can the same heart that's received God's forgiveness turn around and condemn us? It can't. But a heart that is still under attack, a heart that's still being influenced by evil, well, that heart can condemn us. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus living in our hearts is doing battle with that other heart that seeks to condemn us. That spirit of Jesus living in our hearts is the source of the same mercy and the same grace that refuses to condemn us and that offers forgiveness. That's why John writes that. This is how we set our hearts at rest. This is how we set our hearts at rest whenever our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our hearts. Believe in that. Now I know, and I know, because I've had these conversations, there are many of us here today who are following Christ, who truly are seeking to follow Christ, but who struggle to forgive ourselves. I know that. and There are many of us who've been forgiven by the people we've harmed, who have earnestly sought and, and embraced the forgiveness of God, but who still beat themselves up for our mistakes, just can't seem to get out from under that burden. So if that's you, what I want you to hear from me now is what we've kind of been preaching throughout this year in this sermon series, and that's that everything, everything about this Christian, journey, Christian life is a journey. Right? Throughout this sermon series, throughout this year, we're talking about growing, growing, growing into the mind of Christ and part of that growing is growing into the full acceptance of God's acceptance of us. That's that's hard thing for us to grasp sometimes, but every day we grow in that acceptance. And folks, that does lead to a growing ability even to forgive ourselves. This journey of discipleship that all of us are on, it, it begins with this personal conviction of sin, and that that can lead to a guilty conscience. It can. The confession of that sin before God eases that burden. When we confess our sin, when we accept the grace of forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus Christ, we do become reconciled with God. But even that, that is just the beginning of a lifelong journey of transformation. Every day, every day, we grow in our ability to love God, and our ability to love each other, and even in the ability to love ourselves. And while we're in the midst of this growth in grace, as we grow into the reality of God's forgiveness, we will find that our hearts really are changed. We will find that the spirit of grace truly has replaced a spirit of condemnation. And one day, I assure you, one day, if you persevere on this journey, you will find that your own heart no longer condemns you. Interesting. John didn't 
only write about the people whose hearts are still condemning them, the passage that I read. Shortly after that, in the very same chapter, he has words for people who've already experienced that transformation. He writes this, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, right? now he's writing to people who've gotten past this self-condemnation. If our hearts do not condemn us, we can have confidence before God. We know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The goal of this Christian journey is this assurance, this absolute confidence in the power of the love of God in us. It's a power that can utterly defeat any human heart that wants to condemn. If we're ever going to forgive ourselves, we need that first. We need God in us first. Now, there's one other thing I want to, I want to talk about before I, I, I conclude, and that's this. I didn't really talk a lot about the very beginning of the passage that I read, but it's actually an important part of the whole process. Where John says this, he said, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. See, as much as we probably think that this inability to forgive ourselves is just a personal matter, it's, it's me, it's something about me that I can't forgive myself. As much as we believe that, John insists that there are communal dimensions to it as well. Okay, this peace that we're after, this peace of heart that comes in this journey of discipleship, it grows as a result of our mutual love for one another. It's a fruit of the mutual love in the community. When we immerse ourselves in the mutual love of Christian community, when we see the community around us continually demonstrating and living out this mutual forgiveness of each other, our hearts will begin to move away from self-condemnation as well. So next week, Pastor David is going to be back, and he's going to be talking again about forgiving others. And I do, I hope you'll come back for that message. But for now, what I want you to recognize is that your forgiveness of others actually plays a part in their ability to forgive themselves right your forgiveness of others plays a part in that other person's ability to forgive themselves it's what john means by saying don't love only with words or the tongue but love with our actions towards each other That's part of how we get past this self-condemnation. Jesus said to Peter, if you want to heal, take care of each other. Feed my sheep. Turn your attention to the future. Keep doing this work of the kingdom of God. Work to create this new kind of community where mutual forgiveness is a way of life. And let the past be the past. And your self-condemnation will go away too. This mutual love in Christian community, John says, is a huge part of how we set our own hearts at rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.